Today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, as redistricting maps are being argued in the state Supreme Court, we'll take a look at the arguments and the possible outcomes. The Kentucky transgender activists throw a fit when a Democrat running in a special election here in Lexington say that there are extremists on both sides of the transgender issue. JCPS claims that parents are leaving the district not because they are objectively failing, but instead because the parents are, of course, downright dirty racist. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. But first, make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe. Make sure if you're not following the Facebook page, you do so. And please make sure if you're listening on Twitter, you hit that follow button. And as always, you can find this on any major podcasting platform, such as iHeart, Spotify, uh, Apple, Pandora, all those great, fantastic places. You can find this show there if you want to be able to listen on the go. And uh, if you are listening on those platforms, please remember to leave us a five-star review. Unless, of course, uh, you don't want to leave a five-star review, in which case, um, well, you don't need to leave a review. You can just complain elsewhere. Also, if you want to reach out to the show, feel free to email us here at info at theandrewshow.com. That's info at theandrewshow.com. Down further ado, let's dig into it. The state Supreme Court is hearing uh, on the 2022 redistricting maps whether or not they are constitutional. And that's being argued right now in front of that state Supreme Court with the Democrats bringing the suit on the state House maps and the congressional maps. They didn't challenge the state Senate maps, which is kind of odd because they're a little more gerrymandered even. But anyways, they claim that the maps are gerrymandered and have violated the state constitution. The claim on the state house maps on why they're unconstitutional outside of the claim that they are gerrymandered is that they split up some counties uh, four different ways. Something they claim violates a section of our state constitution that does prescribe that counties should uh, avoid being split up between house districts. On the congressional maps, uh, they're calling it unconstitutional, obviously also gerrymandering, but also has to do with something that's been come to called the Comer Hook. So we'll be going over that. Now, understand that the lower courts have already ruled on these maps. They have said that they are gerrymandered, but they said it wasn't unconstitutional to gerrymander a district. Gerrymandering, of course, means to shape a district in order to favor a political party or another based on party registration. So you can shape certain districts, for example. You can reach down into more liberal areas and make sure you pair that up with areas that are more conservative in order to help Republicans win, or you could do it on the other side with the Democrats. And gerrymandering is just something that happens. It doesn't matter. Um, literally, it does not matter uh, what party you're talking about, both Democrats and Republicans gerrymandered. Now, we've been seeing a national push against, quote unquote, gerrymandered maps from the Democrats because Republicans control the state legislatures in more and more states. And of course, it is the state houses that uh, control the congressional maps as well as the state legislature maps. So obviously, that has some ramifications across the board as they can draw maps in order to help flip the uh, Congress at the federal level while at the same time maintaining control in their state houses. Now, this was the first time Republicans have gotten to draw uh, their districts in the House. In fact, for the last uh, 
what, 100 years or so, the Democrats have had sole authority over the redistricting. This is the first time Republicans have had a chance to do so. So naturally, the Democrats have been gerrymandering these districts for the last hundred years. Uh, they've been shaping them in ways that work best for them. And considering population shifts and a few other issues, um, they haven't had to change it drastically year over year as they've steadily kind of gerrymandered it as there was slight shift, they gerrymander, slight shift, they gerrymander, slight shift, they gerrymander. So now that Republicans get to draw the map for the first time, you are going to see some rather possibly extreme changes because they have to undo gerrymandering that has happened over a hundred years in order to uh, do it, of course, in their favor. So understand, Democrats, they've been gerrymandering for a hundred years. Now the Republicans have gotten to do it. They're pretty upset about it. So let's talk about their arguments here. Let's talk about the county splitting. So we've talked about, well, we talked about gerrymandering, which like I said, a lower court has found it to be unconstitutional. We'll dig into gerrymandering and, and possible outcomes, but let's talk about their arguments on the county splitting. And I think they actually have a point here when you look at the state house maps, because some counties are cut up uh, four times. Uh, I think there's three counties that have been cut up four times that fall under uh, a population where they don't need to do so. For an example, take Jasmine County. Jasmine County has a population of 53,000. The average state house district is a 45,000 population. So clearly, Jasmine County would have to be split up at least twice, but Jasmine County is actually split up four times. A county that historically and typically maybe would only see one or two representatives. The idea here. Uh, is that, and the reason why this is in our state constitution about splitting up counties is because every county has different needs and a representative is looked at to deal with the issues of their district, of the issues of their county government, and then take that to the state house to either have the changes of law they need, or perhaps in order to get some money back into their district that have been taxed by the state from the citizens of that county. And every county has their own needs and you can see conflicts of interest. Let's just take a look at Jesmond County where you could see a conflict of interest. So in Jesmond County, um, one of the things that some of the officials of Jesmond County have wanted to do is they wanted a direct line and a highway exit uh, closer to uh, Jesmond County, Nicholasville. So right now you're coming off the highway. You either have to snake your way up uh, uh, through, you know, Richmond, Lancaster and, um, you know, on up. 27 there, Nicholasville Road, if you're in Lexington, and in order to get to Nicholasville. Or you can go through Lexington. So this has obviously stifled Jesmond County's growth. So there's some people that have been looking to get a more direct, shorter interstate route in place in order to help grow Jesmond County. I mean, after all, Jesmond County is a big county, and they want to get their tax dollars back from the state just like everyone else. And of course, much like other counties, right, wrong, or indifferent, people listen to the show know that I don't like this whole idea of counties needing to grow and governments getting involved and trying to demographically adjust or, or feeling a need to constantly, constantly grow their governments and grow their counties. But it is what it is. And so then, just like other counties, Jesmond County wants to grow as well. So they could be looking at getting in that road. But Lexington, if in that case, could have a potential issue with that. Why? Because, well, if Jesmond County becomes more accessible to the interstate, 
and they can attract in more employers with cheaper land and better tax policies and so on and so forth, well, then Lexington would be the ones to lose out on those employers because they, in that area, in Central Kentucky area, uh, them in Georgetown are the closest ones to the interstate. So you could see a conflict where somebody is representing both Jesmond County and Fayette County, Lexington, and Jesmond County wants something like this uh, road put in to connect them to the highway. And Lexington doesn't want to see it. So how will the representative handle that? Well, it depends on where they have a larger chunk. Well, what if every representative out of the four that Jesmond has decides not to prioritize Jesmond issues because they have larger chunks like in Lexington. In fact, two of the state house reps that currently, uh, have districts that stretch over into Jesmond actually also have districts that stretch into Lexington. That's representative Matt Lockett and representative Killian Timoney. So Jesmond's got four districts where I just talked about an issue dealing with Lexington that could possibly rise up. And what do you go with? Where do you fall? It's harder to represent. It creates conflicts. It's hard for a man to represent two masters. And so that's why our state constitution had in place a rule about splitting up counties too much. Now, what about congressional maps and the so-called Comer hook? Well, let me show you a map of the congressional districts right quick. So here is our current congressional maps. What you'll see is we obviously have six congressional districts. You'll see that the first district, which is Comer's district, stretches all the way from Fulton County, Kentucky. That's way on the western side, all the way to the border there. <coughs> and then it stretches up into western, uh, up into the purchase area here, up into western Kentucky. Um, and then it circles around underneath the second district crossing through uh, some of the southern districts along the Tennessee line. And then it snakes back up into um, Franklin County, into Frankfurt, uh, and, and grabs a hold of Frankfurt there. So you can see there's this massive kind of, like I said, they call it the Comer Hook. So when you're looking at this map, it goes from the south, uh, Monroe, Metcalf, uh, you know, you're seeing those kind of border counties there. It stretches up through Russell and then it keeps going on up into uh, Washington. And then it kind of grabs half of Anderson and connects it to Franklin County, which is Frankfurt. You know, there's some speculation here. So one is a speculation that Comer asked for it because Comer lives uh, mainly in Frankfurt. That's the claim, at least. He's got a house out in Western Kentucky, but he also has a house in Frankfurt, something he's had for some time, obviously, since he was ag commissioner there in Frankfurt uh, for eight years. So obviously, he's there all the time. However, Comer says that he didn't actually request that himself, something I believe, because in our state constitution, um, residency requirements for congressional districts are not there. You just have to live in the state that the congressional district is in. You don't have to actually live in the congressional district. So there was no legal reason for Comer want to grab it. So I think what actually happened is it's got to do with this sixth congressional district or Andy Barr's district. You see, the sixth congressional district used to have Frankfurt as well as Lexington and then, of course, some surrounding counties. And outside of the third district, which is in Louisville, it's been the only other really competitive Republican district in the state. 
see fifth districts out in Western Kentucky, uh, Massey's fourth in Northern Kentucky, Guthrie's second there, uh, grabs chunks of, of is, is an air chunk there of kind of Western Kentucky. And so Annie Barr's sixth district has been the only mainly competitive district. Rewind to Amy Graff and Andy Barr showdown that occurred uh, that was very competitive. So Andy's district being the only one that's competitive, that sixth district. And so by removing Frankfurt, because he had two liberal areas, he had Lexington and Frankfurt. By removing Frankfurt from it, it makes Andy Bashir's district or Andy Bashir's Andy Barr's district um redder and safer for Republicans because it split up Frankfurt and Lexington to liberal areas from being together. So the question would be, well, who would represent Frankfurt? Because remember, you have to travel your entire district all the time. Well, Guthrie in the second district, he lives down in Bowling Green. Um, so obviously he's pretty far away. And of course, Massey in the fourth district, he lives in uh, Lewis County, not very close there uh, to Franklin County. Um, and then, of course, Hal Rogers, he's out in the 5th District. It would be very difficult to wrap the 5th District around to grab him. Not to mention both Guthrie and Massey are used to pick up some more of that liberal area in Louisville because they have to break it up. See, if you moved Frankfurt into the 4th District, well, it would make the 4th District a little bit more Testy because the fourth district has to also pick up some liberal areas around Louisville. So somebody's got to take it. Somebody's got to represent the area. We don't want it in the sixth district because it makes it by we, I mean the Republicans in the state legislature because it makes it susceptible to Democrat challengers. So Comer already spending a lot of time in Frankfurt, living in Frankfurt a lot of time while already having covered much of Western Kentucky as he has. He's like I said, he's got another house out there. It made a lot of sense to just hook it around to Comer because it'd be easy for him to cover because he already lives in that district. So I kind of explains there this Comer hook and what it comes from and what's pushing it. Now, I'm not going to say gerrymandering is right or wrong. It is what it is. Both sides do it. Now, should the courts throw out the Comer hook? I actually don't know how they exactly could. I mean, they would have to find gerrymandering itself unconstitutional. And if you find gerrymandering itself to be unconstitutional, because you can't just claim that the district just looks funky, so you can't do it. Because what kind of legal precedent is that? What kind of standard is that? Of course, it isn't one. So just saying it looks funky, that's not enough of a reason. And if you find gerrymandering itself to be unconstitutional, which again, the lower courts had said it's not, then how would you measure whether or not a district is gerrymandered? I mean, honestly, what statistic, what would you look at? You could look at registration because some areas are are, are more red and blue. And so they could try to do registration. But what do you do when you have districts that have miles and miles of just their mainly red? And you have areas that are just mainly blue. How would you split that up? Additionally, causing a massive restructuring, if you were to do something like try to say, well, uh, there's this percentage of Republicans, there's this percentage of Democrats, so we should have this many counties majority Republican and this many counties majority Democrat. Well, that would lead to massively unseating large amounts of representatives. And should the courts be able to, just at a drop of a hat, unseat massive amounts of representatives? And more importantly, if gerrymandering has been happening for 100 years... Why suddenly the problem now? 
Why? Because you don't like Republicans doing it when Democrats have. I mean, a big part of the court of law is historical precedent. What have we always done? And if we've always done this simply because the Republicans for the first time in history got the chance to do it in the House, doesn't mean you now get to throw it out. And so I'm interested to see what they come up with with this ruling. Obviously, they got to get moving on it. You've got filing deadlines in January. And if they're going to throw out the maps and they need to be changed or redistricted, that's going to cause quite a debacle in the 2024 primaries. And, um, you know, they've, they've got to get that together. But, you know, it's something to watch, something to pay attention to. Well, coming up after this, transgender activists in the Democrat Party are upset at their Democrat candidate running in the special election for State House District 93. Uh, we'll have more on why they are after this short break. So Democrat candidate for House District 93, Adral Kamul, Kamul, hopefully I'm saying it right, was on WKYT recently. And there's a special election going on for House District 93. Listeners will remember uh, I covered this. House District 93 is a district here in Lexington, and it was priorly held by Democrat uh, Representative Swain, and he passed away unexpectedly, and so that's what prompted this special election. And listeners will remember from a little while back that while the special election process was happening, which of course the party picks the candidate, um, there was a transgender person named Emma Curtis who was trying to be selected for that seat, but the party ended up picking Kamul. In, um, like I said, in a special election, they just picked the candidate. So there's no like primary, like voters and go vote. So it's important to know that about Emma Curtis, as Kamul has found herself in hot water with Emma and others after Kamul made the following statement when asked about transgender kids and Senate Bill 150 on WKYT. The Republicans who dominate the legislature push through uh, Senate Bill 150, which is an omnibus bill dealing with transgender youth issues and uh, uh, governing uh, some discussions uh, in classrooms. Do you uh, think that cultural issues like that will remain a part of the landscape in Frankfurt going into the next session? I think the answer to the question, I think it will, because I, I believe that right now the majority in Frankfurt are creating issues to solve, but we really have real problems to solve. And that, if this is actually one of the reasons why I jumped in, because I'm really tired of, of you know, the extremes on both sides, of, of polarizing issues when we really need to get to the meat of issues, whether it's clean drinking water, funding education, access to mental health services. Uh, Kentucky, we've got so many, like tens of thousands of Kentuckians living un under the poverty level. So I feel like there are th real things that we need to address, but yes, I suspect that we're going to see more of it. I hope to be able to make it to Frankfurt and stop some of that. Now to you or I, that may not seem all that controversial, what she said in that video. It's a pretty moderate response and kind of a classic Democrat tactic to say that trans issues are just a distraction. They're not real. It's not happening. Just close your eyes. And there's real issues elsewhere we need to be dealing with, not this trans kids stuff. And the fact of the matter is, is that transing the kids just doesn't pull well, even amongst the Democrat Party. That's why they typically will do that. Well, they'll talk about these issues are just a distraction while Democrats and Democrat-controlled legislatures and Democrat legislators themselves will put forward 
uh, legislation on LGBTQ issues that uh, push for their side. But when our side does it, it's just, of course, a distraction. So they try to dismiss the issue as ridiculous or silly in order to hide their positions and try to attract in more moderate voters. Now, Kamul is running against Kyle Whelan. Whelan ran for the seat back in 2022 uh, against, at that time, he was an incumbent. This was a new seat to Lexington that has moved from out in eastern Kentucky due to population shifts. And it ended up that Representative Swain, before he passed, he, he won that. And Whelan, however, finished with a 46.2% of the vote last time. So this isn't exactly a walkaway district for the Democrats. And Kamul is in a competitive race. And she believes, and maybe rightly so, that if she comes out extreme on issues like transing the kids, that could end up helping Kyle, who most certainly is a threat in this moderate district, win. However... Kamul saying that there are extremes on both sides, as you heard in that clip, was more than the trans activists could take. Apparently, they don't like uh, their desire to cut off the genitalia of minors to be called extreme, even when it so clearly is. Now, Kamul's statements caused Emma Curtis to withdraw support and endorsement. A potential problem for Kamal, because obviously, with Emma having priorly tried to run for it, it's clear that Emma does live in the district and Kamal needs all the support that she can get. Even though Kamal isn't, uh, you know, even though Kamal in that same interview said she would fight Republicans on the issues, the trans activists are zeroing in on her saying there were extremes on both sides. And that was just simply a step too far, which in a way I agree with holding the position that we shouldn't permanently disfigure, mutilate, or give kids drugs with life-altering side effects simply due to some gender ideology cult is an extreme, and I don't like it being called an extreme position. Uh, that's been the standard position of Americans literally its entire history. In fact, according to polling data right now, it is the current standard. Calling the standard the mainstream belief, what everybody thinks, outside of a small percentage of the Democrat Party, calling that extreme is too far. Now, of course, there are extremes, though, on the other side. I guess what some would maybe call a moderate position, which if we're looking at this statistically, it's not an average position. It's a mean position, meaning uh, you have this extreme out over here, then you have everybody else over here. So, you know, you've got this outlier that's pushing up the average or, or what have you. Um, so, you know, if you're to look at it that way, the moderate or middle position isn't really middle when you consider where everybody at is at. If you're to average it, uh, that's where it would fall, um, is, is with no, we shouldn't be doing this at all. But a middle of the road or whatever position, I guess would be like saying, look, if you want to chop the breasts off your kid, go for it, but I won't do it to mine. Like I said, I wouldn't call that moderate, but I guess that's the closest one could get to meaning middle on this issue. However, the very extreme on the left, well, you, you don't need to look far. You don't need to imagine it. We can just look at California that is right now saying, if you don't trans your kid, the minute they pick up a Barbie doll, if they're a boy, they just go ahead and pick up a Barbie doll. If you don't trans them, well, then you should have your kids taken away from you because you're not affirming their gender. Based upon the trans activist response to Kamal, 
And the fact that they don't see that as extreme, the fact that they don't see that there's an extreme on their side at all, the fact that they don't see California taking kids away from parents because they won't trans them as extreme would seem like that they do believe that that's okay. And describing them as extreme, whether they like it or not, is obviously and clearly accurate. So facing the backlash, Kamal made a statement to clarify what she'd said on WKYT. She said, I want the LGBTQ plus community, anyone whose voice has been shut out, to know that they will have an ally in Frankfurt if I'm elected. My remarks about extremes on both sides were meant to refer to our polarized politics in general. I want to be clear. I was not referring to SB 150 or its opponents. I'm sorry for any confusion and hurt my words have caused. So obviously she's trying to buy this back a bit. She already said the thing where everybody actually looks at it. Then she puts out a statement that only the trans activists will see. So on TV, she comes across moderate-ish if you're fooled into believing that. And then when she goes out here and makes these statements, she is clearly not coming off as moderate because when you look at Senate Bill 150 and what it did, such as, hey, you can't give life-altering drugs and surgeries to minors because they think they're a different gender. Well, that's not an extreme. It's not an extreme thing to fight at all. But how did the trans activists respond when Kamal put out that statement. Well, clearly it, it just wasn't enough for Rebecca Blankenship, who is Kentucky's first openly transgender elected official. Now, Rebecca wrote on Twitter that healing is a long way away, but this is a good start and we are grateful. Healing is a long way away. If you need healing from a statement like what Kamal just said, Maybe, just maybe, you are mentally ill. I mean, we already know you are for believing you're a woman, even though you're actually a dude in this Rebecca Blankenship's case. But with one person saying there's extremes on both sides when it comes to the transgender issue causes you to need healing, clearly you're not mentally well. I mean, honestly, these people are a complete joke. They are a parody of themselves. You cannot make up how ridiculous these people are. And it just goes to show where the Democrat Party is right now at and where it's heading. I mean, if you can't even say looking and, and, and say something like taking people's kids away because they don't want to cut off the body parts of their children and to imply that that's extreme, extremes on both sides, that's the extreme right now on the one side, clearly what Kamal meant so if you can't say that, yeah, extremes exist, the people that want to take away your kids for not doing it, yeah, that's kind of extreme. You can't even say that without apologizing for it. It is clear the Democrat Party has been absolutely captured by this radical left group here. And just goes to show why we must fight this on every level, because we are acting in self-defense of our children. If we allow them to get any ground, we give them an inch, they've already shown us where they will go with it. They will take away our kids. They will enforce her ideology on everybody. And that's how it's going to be. That's why we have to stand up in self-defense. This, this issue with Kamal shows us just how actually extreme the other side is. They'll throw their own allies under the bus and then take time for healing. 
just because they said there was extremes on both sides. All right, so coming up, JCPS says that parents are leaving the school district because, well, they're all racist. We'll have more right after this short break. So JCPS has a litany of issues, and I know we cover them constantly on this podcast, but JCPS's budget is 20K student, and yet they have failed to educate. Kids can't read. Kids can't do math. They can't keep kids in school, as we covered yesterday. They can't get kids to school, as the JCPS busing debacle has shown us. They can't, absolutely can't maintain a district free from ideological takeover from the very far left. And due to all these things, parents have been leaving the JCPS school system and fleeing to other districts and moving. An issue that came up in a debate between Representative Jason Nemus, who is the House Majority Whip Republican, and JCPS School Board Vice Chairman Corey Shule at something called the Louisville Forum. The Louisville Forum is a nonpartisan group that hosts uh, policy discussions um, with, you know, about public policy and things like that. They'll bring on people, they'll have debates, the policy discussions. And, um, you know, it's just kind of a group that gets together and does that. And apparently this was a very packed house as far as it goes. So the discussion was over the JCPS school system. Uh, and during the debate, which got a little heated, Jason Nemes said uh, this about parents leaving the district. They left for one reason, to get the hell out of JCPS. JCPS is running people out of our county. Nemus lives in Louisville. So um, so he says they're, they, they left for one reason, to get the hell out of JCPS. JCPS is running people out of our county. An obvious point and a clear one. Um, I know that when my son went to public school, we have him in private school now, but when he went to public school, where I lived... Uh, I chose to live somewhere that I would be in a high quality school district. I used to live in a condo actually in a part of town because houses were just too massive to rent there. So the only thing you could get a hold of was a condo. And so I chose to live there instead of living in a house on a cheaper part of town, simply so my son could go to the best elementary school in Lexington. And I did this because I wanted the best education for my child. But what do you do when an, an entire district is just awful? Uh, what do you do when you want your kid to learn instead of going to a school that prioritizes crazy things like the LGBTQs instead of the ABCs? Well, of course you move. However, JCPS failing students was not an acceptable reason for parents moving for Corey Shule course, the vice chairman of the board. If uh, he was to accept that that was the reason, well, that would mean that he'd have to acknowledge his and other board members and the school's complete and utter failures. But the facts are the facts. The parents are leaving. So he can't argue that. So what's he go to? What's his reasoning? Well, let me read you his direct quote. This is what he said. This is why parents are leaving. Could it be that some people who chose to go to Oldham County schools are doing so to outrun some of the diversity that is found in JCPS. Maybe some of what we're seeing is people moving to Oldham County supposedly for better schools, but maybe it is for their own particular reasons. I, I, I would laugh if it wasn't the fact that this is going on in our state. I mean, that's right. You, you're just moving schools to get away from diversity. 
Now, not diversity, equity, and inclusion. Not, he's not even claiming they're moving to get away from their leftist ideologies. He can't say that because if he does say that, then that is in a way acknowledging that there is something JCPS is doing to causing kids to run away. Therefore, he doesn't say that it's any policies of the schools. No, he specifically said he specifically said that they were trying to outrun some of the diversity found in the schools. So to say it another way, the parents are leaving JCPS, he believes, are not doing so because the surrounding counties just have a better school system. It is because they are a bunch of clearly crazy, unequivocally, downright dirty racists. I mean, you know, it's amazing what these people choose to excuse their own failures. I mean, if you can always blame your own failures on, you know, racism, good little Trump card for you, well, then you never have to own up to anything. Now, to Nemesis' credit, he did fire back at that, saying people are leaving because they are racist is outrageous. So he did call the idea outrageous. But the very fact, a school district, this is a school board member, vice, uh, vice chairman of the school board. The very fact that they're going to a school that would call them racist for leaving is probably a big part of the reason why they're leaving. I mean, who wants to go to a school that when you come to them and say, hey, you're failing and it's causing me to leave, they respond by calling you a racist. Now, this isn't the only way Corey managed to call people racist. You see, a possible solution to the JCPS issue has been that's been floated has been to break up the large several billion dollar district into smaller districts. Well, Corey said that breaking up the district would result in a return to segregation because apparently and obviously if a district got broken up uh, by the legislators in charge of it, because they're, they're clearly they're clearly so racist that they would make sure they have black districts and white districts. And this also points to an issue that's going on in Louisville. This is part of the reason why people don't like Louisville schools, because you would say that even if you have one big district. Well, you'd say they're kind of, if they would kind of, if you're saying that minorities all live in one area and white people all live in another, very, you know, like I said, basic way of looking at it, but what's that you do? Well, if you were going to your neighborhood schools and not doing forced busing, then um, you wouldn't, uh, uh, you would have schools, you would have black schools, you'd have white schools, that it would just work out that way. But you know, obviously, because they do forced busing, it's how they integrate the schools. Putting that in quotations. Now, of course, Jason Nemus responded saying, um, nope, there are ways we could cut this up without making it blast, uh, a black districts. An idea that apparently never crossed Corey's mind. Now, why did schools, why did he say they were failing? Right. So obviously, uh, when when they say that there's issues in the schools, he can't say there are no issues. He can't look at the results and say they're happy. He can't look at parents leaving. He says that's racism. But why is he saying that they're failing? Well, what he say? He said, well, I just don't have enough money. His response, dollars are the problem. There's no way you can have a robust public education system when you have not fully funded it. JCPS is getting 20K a flipping kid. I mean, how much do you need? Private schools are charging like 12, 13,000. They have sports programs. The special help for students are falling behind. 
Why can't JCPS get it done with 7,000 more? Clearly, money isn't the problem here. The problem is clear. You have a vice chairman sitting here saying racism is our problem and we just need more money, which in and of itself is an issue because obviously, but is he saying you can buy yourself out of race? I don't know what he's claiming here. But I guess he's thinking he can spin themselves out of race. Anyways, he just says we need more money. That's why our schools are failing. You know what's one thing these people never do? They never tell you a price. How much will it cost to get kids to read? How much will it cost to get kids to do math? Have you ever heard a dollar amount from them? Have they ever said, look, we need 25K a student. That's how we can get it done. We need 30K a student. That's where we can get it done. 50K a student. I, I, at this point, it doesn't even matter what the number is. I want to hear them say a number. But it's just more, 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 more money. I just need more money. It's never an, an amount. How much do you need? And they, they name an amount, explain why it's that amount. Backtrack your math and explain it to us. But they can't name a price. They can't do it because if they name a price and then they get it, well, now they'd be expected to accomplish the goal and their excuse of, I just need more money, would go out the window and they'd be left with what? Racism, that's about it. And how do you make that work? They would find a way, trust me. That'd be your only excuse left. So if you name a price, you might get it. And then, just maybe, you might have to live up to expectations. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining me. We'll be back here on Monday, 1 o'clock. We'll see you then. Have a great weekend. And remember, like, comment, share, and subscribe. We'll see you.